Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to talk all things WWE in what can only be described as one of the craziest weeks for WWE, professional wrestling, and honestly, the entire world, that I can remember. To the surprise of everyone, there was a global pandemic going on, and to the surprise of no one, Vincent Kennedy McMahon has somehow remained the last man standing in terms of being the only sport-adjacent company in the United States still running in the face of this. I do, I guess Dana White is still trying to put on UFC 249, whatever. We all know what VKM is all about. Before we get into the massive news that was dropped on Monday night, just 30 minutes before Raw, a reminder, hit us up with those five stars. Start there. Hit us up with those five-star reviews. You guys have been so generous so far. Please Keep it going. You've got to keep up this momentum as this show gets underway. Also, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at GettingOverCast and at SilversteinAdam. Okay, on to the show. No Dave Schilling this week. He is feeling under the weather. So I decided to take a step back and reach out to the man who took a chance on me when taking his own professional wrestling audio journey. Yeah, he's washed. He's also the man whose name's on the marquee of the State of Combat podcast on CBS and Morning Combat on Showtime. On this show, I can call him the Marty Jannetty to my Shawn Michaels after being flipped for so many years. He is the Brian Campbell. BC, my how the tables have turned. Welcome to Getting Over. Yeah, where's my soundboard? Uh, insert zipper sound drop randomly right now. Uh, welcome to the getting over, getting overcast. Wow, that's a w- weather report there. Uh, thank you for having me, Silver King. Congratulations on launching this rocket ship. Yeah, man, I appreciate it. Obviously, it doesn't happen without uh, the in this corner, in this Campbell state of combat uh, experience that we had for oh so many years. Uh, but yeah, this is definitely a new professional wrestling audio journey that I'm going on. And man, what a start it has been because, you know, I started as quickly as I could knowing, hey, it's the road to WrestleMania. You got to strike while the iron's hot, right? You want people to talk about wrestling? This is the time of year to talk about wrestling. But we are talking about wrestling in WWE for every reason other than the build to WrestleMania 36. Is Drew McIntyre going to be the new champion? Is Becky Lynch going to retain? Are they pushing Shayna Baszler too quickly? No, we're talking about a global pandemic. We're talking about the coronavirus, COVID-19, and we're just going to move right into the main event here. It was announced about 30 minutes before Raw on Monday Night BC that Vince McMahon and WWE are still going to be holding WrestleMania 36 in the face of all this, but they are going to cancel it and the entire week of festivities in Tampa and move it to the Performance Center. Dude, I didn't expect this. I think Could I have seen WrestleMania still being held? Sure, right? You take it out of the stadium. You put it in an arena. You find a way to still give us the pageantry, the fireworks, the set. You do whatever you need to do to make it happen and still feel like WrestleMania. Like the NFL would never, I might see them hold the Super Bowl without fans. I could see that in a situation like this. They would never hold the Super Bowl in a NFL team's practice bubble. In like a practice facility. And that's what WWE is doing here. So I'm sho- I'm not shocked that it's going on. I'm shocked that it's happening in the Performance Center. You and I have been there on multiple occasions in Orlando, Florida. It's basically a warehouse with a bunch of rings and a gym in it. Are you as surprised as I am that this is happening in the PC? 
Yeah, I'm shocked at from a from a quality control creative standpoint. Now, look, I, I've used this reference, and I, people hit me up on Twitter uh, out of insensitivity. Uh, no, it's not insensitive. It's true. The show always goes on in WWE. Owen Hart Absolutely. died by hitting the ring ropes, and the show went on. So it's never a surprise that Vince would be the last man standing even though Dana White tried really, really hard to buck any form of concern and, and move forward. Uh, but to go empty arena, to cancel the whole week, and to still brand it as WrestleMania, you know, I am blown away because, you know, I would have assumed that this could make it to Saudi Arabia, that, that, or that, he could, that Vince could find some country that has less of an outbreak or lacks public safety rules and that he's just going to go, you know what, I'm here for the fans, which is really their message when SmackDown Empty Arena kicked off on Friday inside the Performance Center. Trips gave that very pro, like, we're always here for you. We're always going to be get your back. And I get what they're trying to do with that. I really would have assumed they would just go to Saudi, fill up a stadium there, do all the fireworks and pageantry, and it would have still been the only game in town and still felt like WrestleMania. I'm sorry, you can't make an empty warehouse feel like WrestleMania. You could barely... Make it feel like Raw or SmackDown. In fact, like I, you know, I've been, I have not been watching the pod, the product since CBS shifted gears on 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 the extent of our uh, aggressive wrestling coverage, and I tune back in for those shows. And while I credit their ambition, I credit the performances of the superstars to just try to make something happen. And I do agree that there's certain things that did work. Empty arena, zoomed in promos. Edge, you absolute dirt hole who blew off our old podcast. <laughs> gem on the microphone there but nothing else really works to be honest with you nothing else matches don't work how the heck are you going to recreate mania in the middle of that and like i don't think historically it would be kind to this mania i don't think we go hey remember that time when wwe dug in and did it no matter what i think we'd be like hey this kind of feels like that weird hartford civic center mania in 96 when they had no money and nobody cared about wrestling at all or whatever um except with no fans and no fireworks and no pageantry. In, <laughs> and it's like weird. I think that might be the last like train wreck WrestleMania. Was that 95 or 96? One of the two in Hartford. No money for the company. No buzz for the product at that point. Ever since then, obviously, you've had some hit or miss shows. But, you know, we've, we've gotten onto full on stadiums and domes since 2006. So to bring it to that warehouse, it's just that's the only thing that's off brand. For Vince in this situation, because I feel like they could easily do where they could easily announce this. We don't know what the future is going to bring with in terms of fans and attendance and health. So we're going to push WrestleMania off until insert month. Right. But we're still going to do a performance center special pay-per-view show. We're going to throw out all, you know, the red carpet. We're going to do whatever we can to entertain you. And because we're so used to these Saudi shows dropping in out of nowhere and they're getting WrestleMania level build and production and stuff. I almost feel like it wouldn't be that weird. It wouldn't be that weird if late June was WrestleMania or if they somehow combined it with SummerSlam and did a week-long festivity or whatever. I just feel like as it is as right now, you talk about the uphill battle to make this WrestleMania feel like anything but a shit show. I don't know how VKM and company are going to pull it off, and I'm not necessarily Silver King on the side of like, Hell yeah, to Vince. He cares about the people. No, dude. Like Dana White's ambition, they care about the money in the end and, and maybe care about the ability to, to say, I never took a week off. But I, this is so damn shocking. <laughs> the well, there's a, there's a lot to unpack there because 
Are they doing it for the fans? No. But it is a fan service. So they are providing entertainment at a time that no one else is. Live, new, sports-adjacent entertainment. They deserve credit for that ambition. But this is a money move. There's no question about it. And WWE, if they're going to do this, they do have an opportunity here to legitimately, for the first time in a while, be the only game in town. And I'm not talking about only game in town, like wrestling company. I'm talking about sports. The type of exposure that this can give WWE to hold WrestleMania as the only event happening with Goldberg and John Cena and The Undertaker. Now, when it was going to be held in Tampa as as the main show and nothing else was going to change in normal WrestleMania... I was turned off by all, all the old schoolers, right? And Edge was great. Edge Orton is separate because that's they're actually building a storyline for that. I was turned off by the rest of the old schoolers because, yeah, this is the year where I want new stars to be made. I want the big matches. You want long-term payoff to storylines. And what WWE did by adding a lot of these guys, namely Goldberg and Cena more than anyone else, is they're just rushing to, hey, here's some big names on a card. We're not going to give you an 11-month build to that climax that you want, like Becky Lynch winning the title. We're just going to kind of throw out some names and you're going to watch because it's WWE. In this case, because it ends up being a special show, you need those names. What shocks me here is that WWE and a network, Fox in particular, is not taking full advantage of this by taking WrestleMania and saying, look, this is what's going to happen. We're going to call it WrestleMania, but it's going to be on Fox live from 7 to 10 p.m. We're going to give you eight Sick matches with names you know. It is going to draw a monster freaking rating because it's going to be on network TV on a Sunday in April where there's nothing else happening. We don't even have to worry about the NCAA tournament, the Final Four on Saturday, and the championship on Sunday. There is nothing else happening. We're going to draw a huge rating. We're going to sell the shit out of the commercials, and we are going to make WWE a household name again. That's the opportunity they have that they are not taking, which shocks me. That's number one. Number two, to your point, if you are going to hold this show and you're going to hold it in the Performance Center and you're not going to put it on Fox and you're going to do what WWE is doing, don't call it WrestleMania. You're 100% right. It is a branding situation. You could even skip Mania for this year or hold Mania in the place of Survivor Series, what you would do in November, because people can't forget SummerSlam is only four months after Mania every year. So there's not really a long road between WWE's two biggest events. And that's why I think ultimately WWE decided BC not to postpone this. Because in Vince's mind, this is an active 52-week-a-year show made of storylines. It's not sports where the season comes to an end at WrestleMania. It's just uh, it's, it's an end of some storylines that was supposed to be. They're not doing as good of a job doing that anymore. But it also kicks off a new year for them. And those storylines generally need an end and they need to move forward. Delaying it, potentially, especially if you're going to keep the same matches, would have forced WWE to restart it at maybe a completely unknown time, perhaps on the fly, and they'd be having to fill these Raw and SmackDown slots all the way up to it. Um, They'd have to probably find another stadium. Let's say they keep it in America, in, in the United States. They have to sell tickets. They don't know how financially strapped the population is going to be. You have to bring in security. You have to bring in people to set up the stages. There may still be travel restrictions. 
There's a lot of detail that goes into setting up WrestleMania and WrestleMania week. That's why they plan it 16 months in advance. So I kind of lean into, if it was me, what would I have done? I would have canceled WrestleMania as WrestleMania, like you're suggesting, and held an event in the Performance Center, like you're suggesting, and put it on Fox and called it the WWE Super Show or another name, take a name that they haven't used in years and bring it back and make that their show. I would have then turned, and I would have held these matches, the eight matches that are announced or whatever, I would hold those matches no more. Don't build a single other storyline. Then what you do, the hope is that in June, let's say, two months down the line, you're able to actually start building for SummerSlam. And you build SummerSlam, which is in Canada, I believe it's in Toronto this year, you build it into a massive WrestleMania-like event to the same level that you would have WrestleMania week. You put the Hall of Fame ceremony that weekend. You do the NXT takeover of all NXT takeovers. Hell, make SummerSlam two freaking days if you want and go all freaking in on it. That's what I would have done if I was WWE. Maybe just don't hold WrestleMania at all. You do the event, either you put it in November or you don't do it and you just say, hey, look, there's no 2020 NBA season. There's no 2020 NCAA tournament. WrestleMania 36 happens in 2021. Yeah, uh, uh, there are a lot of good options there. And I think the Fox one is is probably the smartest to utilize the resources they have. They have obviously SmackDown has largely been a debacle since they moved it to Fox. And we spent a whole year sort of talking about how that could change pro wrestling fandom. The, the acceptance of this genre, if they came out guns blazing on Fox, which they didn't imagine if they gave them that free show. But I want to step aside a bit from... Um, uh, you know, fr- from the concerns of the virus and, and, and from any sort of saying of, of the show must go on and just say this. If you're a longtime WWE fan, I, I just like the fear of the bastardization of this great brand. WrestleMania is still that one untouchable brand that they have dumb. Even last year when we were there in Jersey for, you know, eight hours or 10 hours or whatever it was. And people are stuck out in the rain because they couldn't get a cab and you paid cash to a quote unquote gypsy <laughs> Just to get us out of there. <laughs> Tyson, wait, let's make it clear. Tyson Fury drove us from WrestleMania back to our hotel. I mean, just <laughs> like even with that, notwithstanding, even though we thought they butchered the the potential effectiveness of that main event that they worked so hard to build up, all that WrestleMania is an untouchable brand because it's it is the show of all shows. All the all the nicknames that they say. So to look at the lineage of this and to now say. Well, they kind of bastardized WrestleMania the past couple of years by giving the money to Saudi and almost putting off WrestleMania storyline so they can pay off at Super Showdowns or, or Great Jewels or whatever the heck we're calling these things. So this is an unnecessary continuation of that. And, and, and from a historical standpoint, from somebody like me who's come in and out at different years in terms of hardcore fandom, but even when I'm out, still... Hey, got to see Mania. Got to see what happened. Got to see the story. See what's going on. From that standpoint, where you're not thinking about the the virus and and all that, this is cheap. This sucks, Vince. You're better than that. Okay, like really, you're yeah. better than that. So, um, I don't get this line of thinking, and and I haven't gotten their line of thinking for a while, which is probably why I'm not podcasting and wrestling. <laughs> but uh, uh, and and oh, by the way, the another uh, rough fallout of this uh, coronavirus is that Adam, I had 
with our colleagues at CBS Sports Social, Jamie and Robbie. I had third row yeah. AEW seats in Newark, New Jersey for next week for uh, the real war games, the blood and guts war games with the closed cage. And that's no longer happening as as that would happen. But um, yeah, I mean, Adam, please take me to the control room, OK, or the corporate room or whatever, the, the boardroom where it's Vince, it's Trips, it's Steph. I don't know. Do they bring in Shane? I don't know. Probably not. Um, whoever is the new George Berrios and the other lady, Michelle Wilson, um, maybe a trusted uh, road dog type person. And they're sitting there and they're going, all right, what do we do? How do we? <laughs> um, nothing's going to stop us. We're on. Unbe- you know, is there not a person who raises their hand and says, Vince, when we look back at history, do you want this to be the, the sore yeah. thumb um, warehouse WrestleMania? Is well, that where Vince goes? God damn it. They're going to think we're heroes. They're going to build a statue for us. Is that really like, is, is that where he's lost right now? Um, it's tough to know, man, because look, this WrestleMania will be one of those events where, and, and WWE obviously is going to a week after WrestleMania is out, turn around to 24 or, you know, a behind the scenes chronicle of the, you know, creation of WrestleMania, the performance center. Right. So we're going to get their version of this story, but it is going to take someone leaving that company who is in a role that you mentioned that is in this room, uh, which maybe no one does. Cause maybe that room was Steph Vince trips, you know, Heyman and like a couple other people. And, and, but it's going to take someone to leave there and do the untold story of how w- WrestleMania 36 wound up in the performance center, the considerations that were given the alternate plans, You know, this is something where it's times like this and stories like this where I do think people legitimately, because he is the wrestling journalist of all wrestling journalists, look to Dave Meltzer to say, hey, Dave, what is actually happening here behind the scenes? But this is even something where I think the group of people is so small, to your point, that he's not going to know that. This is not going to be something that gets reported. What other options did they consider? What do they think about? It's something that certainly because Paul is by far the most frontward facing person in that group, in that inner circle, for lack of a better term, he's going to be asked this on every interview for the next calendar year. If I get the opportunity to speak to Triple H, I'm going, my first question, (laughs) how did this happen? And what considerations were given? What else did you guys consider? And he'll give a canned answer and he won't really discuss it. But it is, it is mind boggling to me that Vince, who cares so much about that name brand value of WrestleMania, that this would be the decision he makes. On the other hand, it doesn't shock me at all that Vince McMahon, in the face of a pandemic, this is a man, by the way, who had a match against God, okay, th- uh, that this guy would continue putting the show on. So it's this weird middle ground. It's, it's surreal that we are talking about something as unimportant, candidly, as this, in the middle of an epidemic where people are home quarantined, uh, quarantined, I'm not planning to leave my house for an extended period of time. But most people who are listening to this show should not be either. And we're talking about whether a multi-billionaire <laughs> had other options in his mind besides holding his prestige event in a warehouse in Orlando, Florida, in front of no fans. It is just crazy to me, BC, that this is happening. And it almost makes me wonder, what can WWE do to make it work, right? So like, let's put ourselves... In their shoes, we are Vince McMahon, we're Triple H, 
uh, we're Paul Heyman and we're Bruce Pritchard. And we are trying to figure out how the hell do we make this event that is going to happen in the Performance Center as WrestleMania-like or as palatable to our audience as possible? So we're saying... Right now with Pat Patterson, is that where you're going? With this? Well, yeah, with Pat Patterson, with the cigars, um, you know, and we're we're poolside, even though it's what, what's the temperature in Connecticut right now? Uh, Thirty, maybe. There's snow on the ground. Yeah. It's, okay, so yeah, it doesn't matter. Vince doesn't care about cold, you know. And by the way, let's one, give Vince one other credit. Uh, this is a guy who, for his entire life, has been against sneezing, and it's come back to bite him now. <laughs> in the form of the coronavirus. So, okay, anyway, but I digress. Um, what do you do? What is, when you're building this show and, and you've now seen from Raw and SmackDown what works and what doesn't work in the Performance Center, what are you doing to make this work? Uh, it depends on, uh, look, like Dana White only finally gave in bec- when, when Donald Trump came forward with the no gatherings of 10 or more people, right? So when you're doing an empty arena match and only, you know, it, it, important personnel can be there, um, is that Matt, is that does that rule in this regard? Because I would fill the area around the ring with people that are involved in the storyline with extended with with some form of something. Right. I don't feel like for rock freaking it's freaking WrestleMania. How are you going to make that feel like anything but but weird with the empty arena. You can't run off fireworks and pyrotechnics in there. I mean, can they build some small but intensive stage, I guess? But what are you going to do to add any kind of pomp and circumstance to this inside of a small warehouse? I would like to say, okay, well, then why don't we just focus on the matches? If we can't make... If we can't bring in Rusev in a tank, for example, then why, uh, then why don't we just say, look... Uh, we're playing to the hardcores anyway. We're not putting it on Fox. We're really just playing. We're, we're pr- playing to the hardcores. Let's reward them. Let's let's take every match and just be like, you know what? It's Savage Steamboat. Go for it. And we we keep the angles tight. We darken the backgrounds. And it's just all about those matches. And it's basically, to be honest, it's an NXT Takeover card feel in a in a WrestleMania. That could be a thing, Adam. That in the end, you go. Wow. You know, this wasn't uh, eight hours and 20 matches. This was like seven incredible matches with blood and guts. And I mean, maybe not literal blood, but like, you know, just giving it all. That could be a way where you look back and you go, okay, life was crazy. This was this virus was like a, you know, no disrespect to anybody, but this was like a modern day 9-11, a moment in time where we look back and we say, you know, I remember where I was. I remember what happened. But right. hey, remember that WrestleMania that kicked so much ass because they it was the worker WrestleMania? I could get down with that, even though I'm not even in the product right now. I'm going to watch it and I could get down with it and be like, they made something out of nothing. But if you do the opposite and you try your best to small scale the giant pageantry that we're used to on a very large scale with domes and football stadiums, how the hell are you going to win? How the hell are you going to make it feel like something you can't reproduce in a freaking warehouse? I mean, I mean, can you like, if you can fill the crowd with employees and, and people going nuts and family members and create a virtual 
NXT arena at Full Sail when they're when like back in the day when they were like when they used to do the takeovers inside that arena in 2015 and the crowd would be like nuts. If you can recreate that legally, that that could help you. That that there's a spark there with the right people in that building that would care about that. But if you can't, Adam, I don't know what you're going to do. So we're very much on the same page here. So the first thing I would do is I would not build the card. I mentioned this earlier in the show. I would not build the card any further. So whatever matches are booked for this show, and I guess Orton, Edge, you got to make that official. Make that official. Stop. No Battle Royals. No Intercontinental title match. No tag team title matches. No, maybe one exception. Do the Lucha Libre Fatal 4-Way, in case you don't know, BC. They're going, they're leading towards Rey Mysterio, Angel Garza, Humberto Carrillo, and Andrade in a Fatal 4-Way match for the U.S. title, which is a worker match, right? It's going to be sick. So add that match to the card. Stop there. Then take your two main events from NXT TakeOver Tampa Bay that you were going to have, which were going to be Adam Cole Velveteen Dream for the title and Gargano Champa in some type of stipulation, loser leaves NXT, most likely type of match. Throw those on the card. You now have a 10-match card. You're done, okay? That's number one. Number two, make it almost like a empty arena lumberjack match for the crowd. So what I'm suggesting is this. And this is extreme. Fly every talent that you have that is willing to fly because some people aren't and and WWE is giving them them that option. Fly every talent that is willing to fly into Orlando. Rent four floors of a hotel. Okay, Or, or maybe space them out over multiple hotels. Test every single one of them for coronavirus and make sure everyone is healthy. Okay, and keep. Listen to me and keep them quarantined. And I don't mean quarantined like you can't leave your hotel room, but you keep them quarantined with every precaution possible for two weeks. So now you know that every person who's going to step foot into the performance center doesn't have coronavirus and is healthy and you're being as careful as you can. Put them in the crowd, two seats away from each other, faces on one side of the arena, heel faces on the camera side of the arena, uh, on the uh, side that would be seen on the camera, okay? Heels on the other side. And you don't need to have it like a lumberjack match where they get where they interfere in every match. But you have the faces cheering for the faces and you have the heels cheering, cheering for the heels. And you have performance center talent and NXT talent there and maybe the occasional legend here or there. But you do what you can to put bodies in the stands to create noise and reaction. Now, it's not going to be a cheering like when Roman Reigns comes out or or the or Bray Wyatt comes out, or, or whatever, you're not going to get this huge reaction that's going to be memorable. Kofi wins the title. They're not going to go crazy. But if Drew McIntyre beats Brock Lesnar for the WWE Championship, and there is zero sound besides his theme music, that's going to be weird. If you hear some cheering from fans that, uh, sorry, from wrestlers that are, that grew up with Drew, that, you know, are, are familiar with that want the face to beat Brock Lesnar that want that to happen. You're going to get a cool reaction there of people cheering this guy on, maybe even coming into the ring afterward and propping him on the, on his shoulders and giving us a moment akin to Rhea Ripley when she won the NXT women's championship. So that's what I do. And, and, and maybe it's not even to the extent that I'm talking about. Maybe each person pulls like a Cody and comes out with like five people and they're, those are the ones that are in the crowd behind them, cheering them on. Each person has their own little group of cheering. Maybe it's their family. Maybe it's whatever. But you put some noise in the arena to drown out the emptiness is what I'm trying to say. Hell, 
maybe you even like in an NBA game, run a track behind each match, some type of noise, some type of song or, or whatever. You do something to fill up the emptiness in the arena. That's the goal that I'm talking about. The other thing you do, BC, and this is what I really want your take on. If WWE is going to do this, okay, they only got a couple more SmackDowns. They only got a couple more Raws. They can preview each of these matches. They can build it up. My opinion is this. As soon as WrestleMania is over, for the first time, WWE legitimately goes on hiatus. Because then you don't need to start booking new storylines. You don't have to worry about how you're going to fill Raw and SmackDown. What you do is you say, this is the end of our season. Our plan is to restart June 1st. And you take three months off. Everyone gets to rest. Your company, you're already not doing house shows. It's a rare occasion where people love WWE. And you have three freaking months with Paul Heyman holding the damn book to book storylines for the next 18 months where we get the long-term storylines we all want and love. What do you think about that? I mean, right away, I'm just going to step on on your throat and just say uh, that idea will work the day after Vincent Kennedy McMahon dies. <laughs> uh, he's still alive or, or his head is frozen and he has some way to speak to us. Uh, he will prevent any form of that from happening. But yeah, look, any if look, it's funny. There, there's certainly good that can come from bad. And, and, and you know, already uh, in this weird sort of hiatus and quarantine get an incredible time with my family. I'm working on home projects that I would never have even attempted. I mean, there's certainly, you know, certainly good things that can come from that. If this, if the long-term effect of this is better treatment of, uh, of WWE's performers and, and some kind of break in the end of the season and all that, I mean, wouldn't it allow WrestleMania to resonate what happens? There's so much more. If you had to kind of just let it chill, you know, you look at what Wrestle Kingdom, New Japan's WrestleMania, does with New Year's Stash the next night. You know, for us, we're not following that product week to week. So we, you know, we tune in for the Wrestle Kingdom. Sometimes we'll tune in for that next night. And what that does is that sets the storylines forward like it should. So if you even want to do WrestleMania and then Raw the next night, and, and that's your tease for the upcoming season, I mean, we can go up and down that road. It'd be so brilliant. I just don't see them ever doing it because there's just that mentality that we don't take vacations. We don't stop. We're always going to keep hitting that register. We're always going to keep being there for you. And, you know, we've eaten our own potential at, at great creativity because of that. Um, I, I, I like some of your stuff in there. I wonder if inside the arena, you know how like, you've, you know, last 15 years in like NBA arenas, they have those thin LED screens yeah. going around and there's like movement there's like things happening i mean if you just created like a giant one on the back wall of the pc and made that a part of the i mean there's things you can do visually to make us care i would like what you're saying where there's extended entourages for each match and they have certain roles in which the camera zoomed in on them and they're saying certain things that fill in the storyline i'd almost like a secondary announce crew like the, remember when new day sometimes has their own pancake table yeah. and you sort of go to that for a minute and they're just sort of react there's little things you can do uh to add on to this discussion and make this show a little bit more unique, but I, I can't get away from the uphill battle element of this. And I, I don't know, you know, smaller card. Yes. Longer, good matches. Yes. Um, actual WrestleMania moments. Can we actually book WrestleMania moments in oh. every scenario rather than what we've received is like, look, recent years. It's not, but, how, but, but BC, how do you book a WrestleMania moment? Like, okay. Drew wins the title. That's a fair it's point. epic. It's epic over Brock. And it's silent. Like, 
That's that's the craziness. Imagine Kofi Daniel Bryan with no reaction afterward. I, right. I say this. I say this all the time. That was my number. I think I say this. This is happening more and more. The, the more I'm removed from it, and I watched it recently again on WWE Network. I think it may have been the greatest WrestleMania moment of all time that I witnessed in person, and still top five all time for me. I can't imagine being by myself watching that and not like turning my head and seeing people crying and hugging each other and cheering and chanting. Chanting, you want the chance, right? You want when when the fiend beats John Cena, you want a shock wave throughout the audience, right? When the Undertaker wins and he's standing there and he raises his fist, you want the lightning and the fans cheering. How the hell are these going to be WrestleMania moments when there's no momentum? Perfect, perfect uh, counter, Jab. You're right. So you have to rethink the idea of a WrestleMania moment. So instead of a WrestleMania moment, giant emotion, <clears throat> we, we made it. <clears throat> you have to do things that WWE doesn't do enough of to end pay-per-views, to, to end storylines, which is like giant swerves and moments. I think you have to make, maybe make it a swerve-heavy show. Maybe make it a, we never thought that would happen. This guy turned on this guy. And sort kind of across the board, each match, I would look at it and say, okay, this match, it's going to end the feud, but it's going to be a classic. We're going to let them pull out all stops. But this match, to make it special, we're going to throw some swerve into there that we didn't even have planned, right? Like fly in, like you're saying, fly in the NWO and they show up. I mean, like there's there's ways you can do it. This should be a reward of the fans. This shouldn't be a celebration and a reward of WWE's willingness to pull this off. This show should serve as a reward to the hardcore fans who who who've been with them through everything and and will watch empty arena shows and be with them through everything. And look, we've talked about this for years ad nauseum. They've gone away from rewarding you at the end of storylines with big moments. We've seen so many storylines change week to week in ways that don't make sense. Make this a friggin' swerve heavy dominant show that just crazy things happen. Like the old way we got hooked on emotion, crazy thing. Oh my, I can't believe that happened rather than the predictability of, Oh, you know, that was a, that was a good three and a half star match. I mean, it was okay. It didn't live up to the billing and the build that we had on WrestleMania for this moment. But I think you have to, the fireworks they're going to have to do is inside the ring. And I don't know, again, it's uphill battle to make it feel special, but uh, they're going to have to think outside the box. And, and if you have to go full on, late 90s WCW where the end of every pay-per-view is something, some cliffhanger, then every match has got to have something crazy in it. No, I think that's fair. And like the, the direction they're going for Randy Orton and Edge, which is going to be a last man standing match, you have such capabilities in the performance center. And anyone who watched uh, NXT last week saw Champa and Gargano and BC. If you didn't see it, you definitely need to see it. Uh, they brawled throughout the performance center. It was basically like there were fans there, so it was different. But it was like the Mankind Rock Empty Arena match where they went everywhere. It was like the, the Macho Man Crush, you know, where they, they found the, um, the forklift and utilized that. They went to the adjacent arena at Madison Square Garden. Like it was, it was super cool, right? So that's what I would do more frequently. You can't make every match a hardcore match of different names, Street Fight, whatever. All the crap they use to say the same thing. But the idea that that is a last man standing match is, is a really good idea. Maybe make some additional stipulations, put things on the line for a singles match, Orton versus, uh, sorry, not Orton, uh, Kevin Owens versus Seth Rollins. It's a match. It's culminating a like eight month feud, but there's really nothing on the line there. Maybe put something on the line. Someone has to switch brands, make um, there be reasons for excitement. Like you said, BC beyond just who wins the match. 
when Drew does win, if he does win, have this guy break down crying in the ring. Make sure that the moments mean something to the superstars, not just the fans, because you're not going to have the fans there. Now, I do think that by giving everyone an entourage, potentially, um, that would be cool. Like, imagine for that championship match, Drew McIntyre coming down to the ring with like 3MB and a couple other maybe bigger name faces, right? And imagine Brock coming down with like Paul Heyman, Shelton Benjamin, and Sable. Sable comes back. It's his freaking wife. She's going to travel with him anyway. Imagine Sable walking back out. You know what kind of pop people would get out of that? Right, imagine Dana White. I mean, you could, you could go a couple places with Dana. Her, right? Imagine, imagine Shayna Baszler coming out with Ronda Rousey and the four horsewomen. And Becky, imagine she comes out, maybe not Charlotte because she has a match, but Sasha and Bailey have her side. That's, you're going to pop for that. Maybe they get into a tussle outside the ring. Maybe they're just cheering for her the, the entire time. Maybe you're right. They're sitting in on commentary and they're asking them questions while the match is going on. I don't know what it is, but WWE cannot give us 10 matches in the Performance Center with their, their scheduled booking. They have to do something beyond that. And I don't know what it's going to be. But to, so something else we mentioned earlier in the show, you know, SmackDown versus Raw. Uh, just looking at Friday night versus Monday night, there was a clear difference in quality from me. Uh, the report was that WWE learned what to do and what not to do from Friday, and then we're going to implement that on Monday. To me, it was the opposite. What I, what I learned on Friday is that commentary needs to be fun because Triple H and Michael Cole absolutely stole that show, right? Uh, let me tell you something. Byron Saxton, love him. Tom Phillips, love him. Jerry the King Lawler, love him. On normal raw commentary, they're fine. There's nothing to get upset about. In an empty arena, they are boring as freaking sin because Lawler has nothing to play off of. He has no comments that he can make. They're trying to be semi-serious while also like noting that there's no fans in attendance. You got to get fun people on commentary. You Even a Corey Graves, I'm not the biggest fan, throw him on there. Let Big E sit in on commentary for, for an entire show. Xavier Woods has an injured whatever, Achilles. Let him do commentary. Um, I mean, guys, Samoa Joe, he's on suspension. He should be off suspension soon. Let him sit in on commentary. These are the people that I want to hear from while these shows are happening. I want character and entertainment, and I want matches. You can't have a three-hour Raw, which they did on Monday night, and have one match the entire show that was live and new. They gave us the Royal Rumble, and people BC were complaining on Twitter. I thought that was a top three Rumble of all time, and if you're giving that to me on free TV... I'm not complaining. It's a pandemic. It's fine. Do it for one show. But I don't want to see uh, pay-per-view matches every single week here. You got to give me three matches on a three-hour Raw, two matches on a two-hour SmackDown. You can't do what they did Monday night. I thought Monday night was a massive step down from what they did on Friday. Um, and I think if that is what they think WrestleMania can be, equivalent of Raw, then they're going to be sadly mistaken. I don't want to see Rock Hogan replayed during WrestleMania 36 from the Performance Center. <laughs> well, gross. <I> just <laughs> that was a laugh burp. That was right. Yeah, that's uh, wow. Yuck. Yuck. Uh, yeah, everything you just said right there. I I indeed. Wow. I, I will say, obviously, the the uphill challenge that they have, it makes me care a lot more, to be honest with you, than, than a Tampa stadium would have. I would have watched. Wouldn't have been fired up. Uh, now I'm, I'm very interested. Very intrigued. Have, so, are you... Are you like me? I think you mentioned it earlier. Are you like me that even in the years you weren't watching WWE, which for me was college, it was basically like 
06 through 09, somewhat, even into 2010. Uh, I never missed a WrestleMania. Are you the same way that even when you weren't watching, you watched Mania? Uh, almost every year. Yeah, there were a couple of years. The, the Miz Cena one in particular, I didn't see a, a second of. There were a couple of years, I, or there was a lot of years I was working at ESPN, and they would bring in that feed. So while working a Sunday night in the newsroom, I'd watch the entire card. That was 24 and 25 for me in particular. Uh, for the most part, I knew what was going on. Uh, oddly enough, that LA one, I still haven't seen it. Maybe the only... Mania, I said, was it 21? It's the, maybe the only mania. Really? The Hollywood Mania? I, I've, I've picked off one or two matches, but it may be, uh, may be the only one I haven't so, seen yet. The reason you need to watch that, and I don't even know how... Actually, you do need to watch it, but in addition to that, on YouTube, there is a compilation of all of WWE's promos and vignettes leading into that WrestleMania. They basically did faux versions of movies. So like they did a fake Pulp Fiction. They did, you know, with with wrestlers as like trailers almost to get you into WrestleMania because it was WrestleMania Hollywood. It is some of the best stuff that WWE's ever done from like a campy, like fun vignette perspective. So you need to watch that. And especially, dude, if you're going to be stuck home, we're all going to be stuck home right now during the pandemic. You should find that video on YouTube. I'll try to find it for you. But then you should watch that WrestleMania because it pays off and it's fun. And and like, it's definitely something that you should see. Um, But Listen, I, I, I've never missed a mania. I certainly wouldn't miss this one either. But I will say that my excitement has all my excitement leading into this mania over the prior, let's say, three months since the start of the year was much more this year about me going than the event itself. Last year, you know, we were really excited about going. There were high hopes and a lot of them delivered through the first four hours of that show. Um, you know, Kofi moment, some of the other things that happened were pretty fantastic. The show opened as hot as any WrestleMania that I can remember. But by the time that show ended, we were tired. It didn't end as spectacularly as it could have. And then obviously we had the incident getting home with the gypsy cab driver, um, that we discussed this WrestleMania it's in Tampa. It's a short drive. You know, I don't like to fly. Um, it's, it's local. I was going to go to the masters the week after. I was far more excited about being at WrestleMania than I was WrestleMania itself. The card had not been built to a level that a WrestleMania deserved. It's honestly been built a lot more like a Blood Money in the Sand, with the exception of like the Edge Orton feud, which has been pretty good. So for them to now put this in the Performance Center, I'm excited almost in a masochistic way, where it's like, I got to see what the hell they're going to do And is it going to be terrible or are they somehow going to shock us? And I think that is what I'm very curious to see with WrestleMania 36. So glad that BC got to stop by so he could rekindle some of those glory days again. Don't forget to follow him on Twitter at BCampbellCBS. You can also follow the podcast at State of Combat. Uh, MMA and boxing shows each week, both there and on cbssports.com. Don't forget to follow BC and keep up with him and uh, his love of combat sports. To wrap up today's show, and, and certainly it was great to have BC as a guest, you know, just kind of wanted to roll into what happened Monday night on Raw. Since this is the WWE episode of Getting Over, you know, honestly, there's really not much to talk about. I did say it a little bit ago uh, during the show that I thought Raw seemed like it was trying to learn from SmackDown and improve and figure out the way to do this, you know, supersized studio show, if you want to call it that. 
but I actually think they learned the wrong lessons. I don't want a polished announced team, as I mentioned. I don't want want one match in a three-hour show. Now, that said, the promos over SmackDown and Raw from the last two weeks have been pretty great. Uh, you know, just looking at from Edge, Roman Reigns, the John Cena, Bray Wyatt interaction was fantastic to end that SmackDown. I've just been a massive fan overall of what they, these superstars have been able to do cutting promos on these two shows. So the question is, what about the storyline? Where do we see all of this going? So, uh, you know, we talked, I did an instant analysis of, of SmackDown on Friday immediately after it aired, but I was mostly talking about the empty arena experience. So let's talk some storylines real quick. Uh, the Sasha Banks and Bailey thing with Nikki Cross and Alexa Bliss from Friday. It was a fine tag team match. I liked how they got into it. I enjoyed the interference from Asuka. It makes sense if they're going to be building that women's tag team championship match with uh, Cross and Bliss at WrestleMania. But again, that's just not a match that I think should be happening at this point. So, you know, I'm not exactly sure what they're going to do there. And, and we still have really no clarity on the women's championship situation on the SmackDown side because Paige was supposed to show up and deliver some type of address and it never ultimately happened. Uh, the Roman Reigns interview, there were positives and negatives from that. You know, I, I liked that he played to the oddity of the situation, but at the same time, while he got some stuff across as Joe Annoy, and we like Joe Annoy, we don't necessarily like Roman Reigns, it was very much cookie cutter, cut and paste. Uh, I deserve it because I deserve the main event of WrestleMania because I work hard on house shows. That doesn't really sell it for me. It would have been probably nice for someone else, not Baron Corbin, to come out and confront him and not force him to have a number one contender match per se, but at least test him to that end where he would then win that match and be, everyone would be like, oh yeah, you know what? He does deserve that opportunity. So you want a little bit more than that. Uh, Jeff Hardy, I think I was just disappointed top to bottom. Uh, I'm glad to see him back, but again, it's another opportunity where someone was off for a long period of time and WWE had a chance to do a makeover. And Jeff is creative enough and certainly different enough where he could have come back in a changed, different type of character and said it's just the exact same guy that we saw when he left. Um, you know, the gouges in the ears, the face paint. That's not the Jeff Hardy I want. I want someone who can actually interest me. And this is a guy that interested me, you know, 15 years ago. I need someone completely different than that these days uh, if Jeff Hardy is going to be a major part of SmackDown. I did very much enjoy the Daniel Bryan and Drew Gulak interaction. It's very smart for them to pay off that match, which was a great match at Elimination Chamber, with having them become a tag team. My expectation is that they would be in a tag team title match at WrestleMania. Uh, but again, another situation where I don't think they should have a tag team title match at WrestleMania because I don't think there should be any more than eight or 10 matches on this year's show. The stuff with Rob Gronkowski, you know, it's fine. Uh, I guess I am anticipating him showing up Friday on SmackDown. It's probably something they should have just saved until they could have got in front of an arena so they can get good, really good fan reaction to it. So the fact that Rob Gronkowski is going to quote unquote debut in WWE on SmackDown in front of no crowd, it just isn't as important to me as it otherwise would have been. I did think WWE made a huge mistake Friday in not having the Daniel Bryan Cesaro match go 20 or 25 minutes and let them absolutely tear the house down. In this case, no crowd, but just actually maybe the pillars of the performance center, because those are two of the best workers in the company, obviously. Um, similarly, what I mentioned earlier with Jeff Hardy, didn't love the match with Corbin because it lasted basically no time. Hardy went over easily and nothing was gained from it. And if anything, Corbin just got weakened by losing that easily to a returning superstar. The, the Cena-Bray Wyatt 
uh, segment to end the show is one of the best promo segments that WWE has given us in a long, long time. And I'm saying segment, not just, you know, a singular, singular person's promo. It may have been the best since that Batista Triple H promo in the lead up to their match uh, a year ago. Uh, that's how good it was. I love that, you know, John Cena brought into kayfabe the real life uh, ag- allegations of him burying people. Um, I thought Bray Wyatt coming out as the Firefly Funhouse character as opposed to the Fiend. So that way it made sense that he would be in the ring with a mic cutting a normal interview was good. And Wyatt basically just telling Cena that he's going to ruin him and it's going to be a slaughter that Cena just doesn't know it yet. Seeing Cena's response to that, his like blank facial expression, it was a fantastic end to the show. And again, it's something that I wish WWE paid more attention to uh, in their booking and in their work going forward. Moving over to Raw, Edge cut an incredible promo, you know, maybe only second to Randy Orton's promo a few weeks ago on Raw in terms of best individual promo of the year in WWE. And and certainly that Orton one was one of the best in a very long time. Uh, The fact that they're going to do a last man standing match is definitely the right call. It you know, places a little bit less wear on both of their body bodies, Edge in particular. And I'm going to be curious to see how they use the Performance Center to its utmost capacity in order to do that match. Uh, the Undertaker-AJ Styles contract signing, it, it left a lot to be desired. If you're going to have both of them in the arena, to not have them really be face-to-face doesn't work for me. You know, it was kind of funny, Anderson and Gallows going out there, don't get me wrong. But Taker, like, walking to the ring shirtless, half Undertaker half American badass, was kind of unnecessary. Then he flips over the table, seemingly for no reason, but we don't learn until we get back from commercial break that there was no contract on the table. He could have grabbed a mic and said, all right, let's get this done. Where's the contract? Not seen it, and then flipped over the table. That's just bad writing, bad pacing. Um, didn't make a lot of sense at all. The fact that they had to explain it to us coming back from commercial you know, it was a joke. Uh, the Rey Mysterio Andrade match was good. Uh, I didn't need to see it again. Um, I did want more matches on this show. Clearly, you saw after Raw went off the air that the Street Profits were there, that other people were in attendance. I would have loved to have seen an athletic tag team match or some other really cool things. But Mysterio Andrade, seemingly for no reason in a non-title match with Mysterio simply beating this guy that's given him so much trouble over the last few months, you know, either setting up the fatal four-way at WrestleMania, I get it, um, but total, totally lacked creativity. I didn't love that. Becky Lynch's in-ring promo was solid. Again, another example of these in-ring promos with a quiet, you know, no audience, obviously. Um, the words being impactful, they are letting people cut promos who can actually cut promos, and it's great to see on WWE television. I thought, similarly, the Kevin Owens promo backstage challenging Seth Rollins to a match at WrestleMania was solid. It made a lot of sense. Uh, Him bringing it around to, hey, the Performance Center is where I got my start in WWE. You didn't. Kind of true. He was in FCW and then, you know, went to NXT, but they did kind of train, you know, for NXT. So it's kind of true, kind of not. Uh, But, you know, Owens did go through the Performance Center. Of course, they don't note that Owens didn't spend a lick of time really in the Performance Center. He immediately debuted on NXT. So that's not completely the case. But uh, it was a good segment. It made sense. And Owens posted a picture on Twitter that really brought it home of uh, Rollins with the WWE Championship and Owens with the NXT Championship, I guess, you know, from when Owens made his 
debut in WWE. And it was pretty cool photo to kind of say, hey, this is what we were. And here's now what we are. The Austin segment to end the show, I've seen completely mixed reactions from fans. Some people said they absolutely hated it. Some absolutely loved it. I am definitely dead center in the middle of it. I hated the first three quarters of it. Uh, When he brought Saxton into the ring, you knew he was going to get a stunner, of course. Saxton sold it really well. But the fact that he picked him up a second time for another stunner, I had legitimately laughed out loud. The Becky segment at the end, her coming out and them chugging beers was great. Uh, I thought it would have been cool if Becky like faked stunning him like she did on his USA Network show, his like talk show, whatever that's called. Um, that would have been pretty funny, but they didn't really go that far. I did like that. But when Raw went off the air, the Street Profits came out. They celebrated with Austin and Becky. They chugged some beers. And then Austin stunned them. I kind of would have liked to have seen that on TV. It would have been a lot better than the, you know, him reading off a cue card segment and Byron Saxon holding up, you know, numbers grading his takes. Uh, it didn't really work for me. So, you know... Raw ultimately fell flat for me compared to SmackDown. I thought SmackDown was far better. I do hope that they put Triple H on the mic consistently in this empty arena performance center situation going forward. I don't know what WWE is going to do, but I will tell you this. In these uncertain times, I am really curious and excited to see how the hell they pull this off. Thank you all for listening to this episode of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. We will be back Thursday. Uh, recapping NXT and AEW Dynamite. Again, we have no idea what those shows are going to be like, but we will be here recapping them and talking all things professional wrestling. In the weeks to come, we will see what happens with wrestling on TV. If it does not happen the way we expect, if we don't have a lot to talk about on this podcast, maybe we'll get into some pay-per-view rewind type segments. Maybe we'll do some other fun things. I certainly have a number of DMs from you all to answer that I thought I was going to do on the show. But when I got Brian Campbell, I figured him and I needed to hash it out for old time's sake. And then I would address the rest of your DMs as we move forward here on the podcast. So for anyone who asked the question, either to at getting overcast on Twitter, or if you hit me up individually at Silverstein Adam, I'm very sorry I didn't get to it on today's show. I will answer those questions on Thursday. Thank you guys so much for listening. Remember, five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to find wrestling audio. For Brian Campbell, my guest joining me today, this is the Silver King, Adam Silverstein. Bye for now.